All right, good morning, everybody. You are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Brother Marty Leeds. Welcome, everybody. It looks like we got 50 watching this morning. That's a good start. That is a good start. Uh, we are coming live from Beecher, Wisconsin. I'm your Beecher preacher. Uh, we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as you guys know. Uh, we got a good one today. We're going to be doing the geometry of good thinking. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. A lot of ground shall be covered. We are going to talk about, well, all sorts of things. We're going to talk about the Demiurge. We're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about levels of consciousness. We're going to talk about Kabbalah, about how to ascend up and out of here, the purpose of life. Uh, we're going to cover a lot today. And I decided to call this the geometry of good thinking. And I don't even know why, just because we're going to be dealing with a lot of circles, a lot of squares, a lot of triangles. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So before we get going, let's do a prayer. Dear Lord, it is my will to surrender to you everything that I am and everything that I'm striving to be. I open the deepest recesses of my heart and invite your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of me. I offer you my life, my heart, my mind, body, soul, and my spirit. I surrender to you my past, present, and future problems. I ask you to take hold of every aspect of my life, I surrender to you all my hurt, pain, worry, doubt, fear, and anxiety, and I ask you to wash me clean. I release everything into your compassionate care. Please speak to me clearly, Lord. Open my ears to hear your voice. Open my heart to commune with you more deeply. I want to feel your loving embrace. Open the doors that need to be opened and close the doors that need to be closed. Please set my feet upon the straight and narrow road that leads to everlasting life. Amen. That's a good prayer, isn't it, huh? That's a banger, huh? That's a good one. Okay, like I said, we're going to do the geometry of good thinking today. And it's kind of a uh, sort of an anomalous title because we're going to be covering a lot of different stuff. We're going to be go over, going over this stuff fairly quickly today because I got a whole thing, on a lot of stuff on this roster today. And so let's do it. I hope you guys enjoy it. And um, we thank you for being here and thank you for your support. So look, we're going to talk about our predicament here. Really, this is what we're this whole live stream will be about. What is it? What's what's the human experience all about? What you know? Uh, how do we understand it? How, what's what's our goal here? That sort of thing. So this life is a riddle, and as we're going to see, the and we're going to do a whole live stream on this. The riddle is to find the middle. That's that's really what life is. When we enter into this experience, into this dimension, we are presented endless questions about the nature of existence and seemingly no direct answers. This predicament puts us in the position of having to answer those questions. Life, therefore, naturally becomes a riddle. We're presented with the riddle of this life. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? What is the nature of reality? Is there a God? Is there not a God? What am I supposed to be doing here? What is blah, 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 blah. Endless amounts of questions. That's what we're given in this existence. Here you go. We're just dropped in here and no direct answers given. And the trick, as God, as you'll find, because God is, in, in this sense, he's the... the you know, the, the answer to the riddle is always this magical thing, right? You know what I mean? And the trick about, you know, answering these these questions is the trick is the answers have been in front of you the whole time. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That God placed you in this predicament of endless questions, but to put the answers in front of you, right in front of you. And this is what we're going to be talking about the hands today. We talk a lot about the hands because they're tools to help us understand that God has given us to help us understand who we are, where we are, that sort of thing. Our hands teach us about an ancient science called Kabbalah. And our hands give us what? Our base 10 system. Obviously, everybody here can count. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Of course, our base 10 system is 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Now, it's with those 10 digits you can make any other number you wish. This is why numbers in this sense are a language. We've covered some of this before review, but it'll be a good one. 
So in other words, if I want to make the number 864, well, I just grab an 8 and I just grab a 6 and I just grab a 4 and boom. So in, the, in essence, those are letters of a numeric alphabet. And God put that numeric alphabet right in front of us. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. With those 10 digits, you can create any other number in creation. And this is called, and what this is, is Kabbalah. Now, a lot of people, as I've come to find, you know, we try to clarify this for lots of people, but people still are, you know, they're, they're still under the spell. They're still under mis misinformation, disinfo, and, you know, their, their biases and stuff like that. What, what we try to do is, like, take all of that and clean your mind, clean your heart and your mind so you can see this world, um, you know, clearly. So Kabbalah is number symbolism. That's what it is. Anybody that tells you anything other than that, like, no, it's Jewish mysticism and it's evil, they literally have no idea what they're talking about. I'm here to tell you that. They literally have no idea what they're talking about. None. If they're like, Kabbalah is dreaming up demons and it's Jewish and it's literally nothing. They literally have no idea what they're talking about. Okay? I'm just here to tell you that. Now, I'm probably going to be one of the only guys on the web that's going to tell you this because I'm probably one of the only guys on the web that actually genuinely teaches Kabbalah so that you can understand it. <laughs> Kabbalah is, period, number symbolism. That's what it is. It's understanding that God made this universe and that when he did it, he used the construct of numbers and he put those things right in front of you. Numbers are supernatural. They're metaphysical. What do I mean by supernatural? They're nowhere in the natural world, but they are right? There's no physical number seven anywhere. They're metaphysical. They're beyond the physical. They exist beyond the physical. We'll talk about that today. They have inherent qualities, attributes. They're ordered. What comes after one? Two. What comes after two? Three. What comes after three? Four. Into what? Infinity. Keeps going. They're axiomatic. They're universal. They're available to all people. They're emanations from God. They're divine principles of design. And as you can see, God gave us this numeric alphabet right in front of our hands. Now, a lot of people, when you get into debates and things like that, this is something that I've been seeing a lot lately that people talk about presuppositions. Well, what's your presupposition? Presuppositionalism. You know, and presupposition is basically this idea. It's a thing tacitly assumed beforehand at the beginning of a line of argument or course of action. So, in other words, I'm going to talk to you today about said topic here. But before I talk about that, we got to have a foundation upon which you can validate what you're talking about. So a lot of times you'll hear arguments about presuppositionalism. Well, presuppositionalism is retarded. I'm just here to tell you that. Anybody that's claiming presupposition, like, oh, this is my, what's your, you know, with numbers and geometry as your foundation, you don't need to suppose or assume anything. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. Because you understand that, oh, numbers exist, they're metaphysical, they're supernatural, they're given to us by God, they're available to all people, and they can actually, they're actually used to understand literally, you know, uh, as far as design is concerned, as far as science, every aspect of reality. Every one. You will need numbers. There's not a science you can do where you won't need numbers. You can't possibly count the days to when, to when uh, you, you know, get married unless you use numbers. You, can't, you couldn't possibly even understand to show up here at 9 a.m. this morning unless you did what? Use numbers. So with numbers as your foundation, you don't need to assume because when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me, as you guys know. We don't assume or presuppose anything. Nothing. Literally nothing. Numbers are the foundation which allow us to understand our creation. Kabbalah is literally the, the ascension of consciousness. This is what Kabbalah is. It is a science science, because it's based on numbers, of the ascension of consciousness. Anybody that tells you anything else, it's Jewish mysticism, it's part evil this, they literally have no idea what they're talking about. I'm here to tell you this. Numbers, that's what it is. It's literally number symbolism. And it helps you understand your creation. 
what what Kabbalah does is actually gets you to ascend like up a number line, if you will, and then up and out of all dimensionality. All and we're going to talk about this, and you actually where you see this in our creation, our create our entire creation is built off this. Okay. And we're going to use geometry and number to understand this. So when you go up and raise your levels of consciousness, right? Those levels, metaphorically anyway, in this sense, not even metaphorically, they're represented by what? Numbers. Okay? So really what Kabbalah is, is numbers, using numbers to help you understand what's beyond numbers, beyond categorization, beyond, beyond the beyond the beyond. And we're going to talk about this today. Our entire creation actually gives this to you straight up. So... Kabbalah is the science of ascension of consciousness, literally beyond number, beyond categorization, beyond division, beyond language. This is where words fail, categorizations fail, names fail, descriptors fail. And we're going to show you exactly where this is in our creation. Look up. You don't need to dream or imagine or fantasize about other worlds and things like that. No, we're going to we're going to use today as the perfect um the perfect lecturer to substantiate these ideas. And that's what we'll be doing today. Exactly who you are, the levels of consciousness, the whole bit. So that's what Kabbalah is. Most people think it's Jewish. No, no, it's not. This is why we talk continuously while you find the same science. And that's what Kabbalah is. It's a science of ascension of consciousness, of your soul's journey. This is why you find it in all these other cultures. Now, I will say this, um, getting a little hot here, but if you have a bunch of truth seekers and people out there that are like, I'm a truth seeker, or I'm a, I'm a whatever, I, come to me for information. If they're not understanding this, they don't understand the basics of spirituality. If you don't understand this, meaning that you can find Kabbalah, it's not Jewish mysticism, you can find it literally everywhere. If you have people touting these religions or practices or belief systems and they're not understanding the basics of literally what God put in front of them, they don't understand much. Kabbalah is numbers zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. These are nine gods and what? A void or an empty or a placeholder, if you will, right? Christian angelic hierarchy up on the left, nine gods. The Egyptians, nine gods. Why nine? Why nine? The Norse. The, the, if you read the Poetic Edda, the first thing they'll tell you is about a tree in the center of creation and nine gods. You go to the, the um, uh, what are we talking about there? The Arthurian legends. What do you have? The nine worthies. Here's uh, something that um, Amor over there, uh, Gnostic Buddha Messiahs, was sharing. It's the, it's the nine levels of the Sharat Shab Yoga. Right? And it's nine levels of heaven. Nine levels of heaven. Guess where heaven reaches all the way down to? The physical. Do you know how you under... Do you know where those... You don't need to dream of these things or like look out. No, they're literally right in front of you. All of these traditions are based on science. Things that are verifiable and repeatable. Period. And what do they do? They mytho mythologize these things. So th this is... So we have nine gods. We have the Christian, Egyptian, the Norse, the Arthurian legends. We have the all, all the way into the East. Nine levels of literally ascension of consciousness. Put right in front of you. Epic of Gilgamesh. You guys know the Epic of Gilgamesh? When in the height heaven was not named and the earth beneath did not yet bear a name. We're down to 82 people watching. Hot! <laughs> okay, let's keep going. When in the height heaven was not named and the earth did not yet bear a name. So nothing. They didn't. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but the earth was without form and void. That sounds very, very similar. The primeval Apsu and Tiamat, the mother of them both, when no field was formed, what is that? Zero. 
No Marsh was to be seen when of the gods none had been called into being. Zero. Apsu, Tiamat. Then it goes on. Lam, Lamu, Lahamu, Ansar, Kisar, Anu, Ansar, Nutamud. Wait, this is the... <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. There's nine gods and a zero at the beginning of the Epic of Gilgamesh. After they give you all those nine gods and the zero, this is what they tell you. Abounding in all wisdom... How about the Ten Commandments? Why ten? Why ten? What, so what Kabbalah is is exactly what you see referenced in all, a lot of different cultures, but especially uh, in Christian. You have the ladder that reaches up to the heaven. The ladder. This is the ladder, literally, of your levels of consciousness up and out of this place. And we'll show you exactly where that is, exactly what's beyond that. Here's Freemasonry, literally leading you up into the heavens. This is the ladder the ladder ladder into the heavens this is all a reference to what kabbalah all of these things need to be substantiated they're substantiated in geometry geometry is what you use for good thinking this is what god has given us to help us understand not only the science of who we are where we are the mapping and tracking of time but actually how to formulate thoughts we use geometry to form a thought okay so and geometry comes with specific qualities and characteristics. So a circle encapsulates the most amount of space, but it has an immeasurability because of the infinitude of pi. Pi is this infinite number, so it's there's an immeasurability to that circle. We can never find its area, truly. We can come very, very close, but we can't find it. The, the square, on the other hand, why do you think we always cut things into squares down here? Because it's very measurable, very rational, 490 degree corners, I can measure this area, that sort of thing. So what we're going to do is use these forms in our mind to help us understand this is what God, given, has God, God has given us these things for. A triangle encapsulates the least amount of space. So as a circle, a circle encapsulates the most amount of space with the, with the, with the least um, you know, line length, if you will. Now, you make it a triangle, it's going to encapsulate the least amount of space. You also have a third point in that triangle. These are your basic forms. A circle, a square, and a triangle. Things that children draw all the time, that sort of stuff. A triangle encapsulates the least amount of space. So what a triangle is, is extremely balanced think thinking. That's really what a triangle represents. So, and it represents the, uh, like, a, the, well, once again, the coincidentia oppositorum, or the unity of opposites, or a total balance. So this is what the triangle represents, and this is what we're going to see all day long. So a relationship must be established between opposing forces. This establishment of a relationship is in itself the third force. One and becoming two becomes three simultaneously. The becoming is the third force, automatically providing the innate and necessary and mysterious reconciling principle, John Anthony West. And then Henry Adams tells this, says this, I tell you the solemn truth that the doctrine of the Trinity is not so difficult to accept for a working proposition as any one of the axioms of physics. So, Henry Adams, you know, John, uh, John Anthony West are basically both saying that, look, um, you're going to have to use geometry to do proper thinking. If you want to do good ontology and epistemology and, philo and uh, philosophy and teleology and theology, if you, want to, if you want to engage in those subjects at all properly, you're going to need mathematics as your foundation. Hence why we talked about philosophy. If you want to ruminate and ponder on the nature of existence, you better focus on phi and phi, 
which is the golden mean and the golden ratio. This is why it's the first thing that Genesis gives you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the circle and the square. Around the world, people understood that the best way to think, the best way to understand who you are, where you are, the nature of God, the nature of this creation, is, is God has given us a tool for that. God has given us the tools, the science for that. And he literally put it right in front of us. This is the circle and the square used as the fundamental, uh, arch, uh, you know, basically um, uh, blueprint or, you know, um, architectural theme in cathedrals around the world. It's the merging of the circle and the square. We've, this is a review, I know. Uh, on the left, there's the mandala. We've seen these all over. What is it? It's the merging of the circle and the square. There's rebus on the right. See that? That's an alchemical painting. Do you see what's in Rebus's hands there? The, the compass is in the square, the circle in the square around the world. Of course, we deal a lot with Freemasonry. People see that symbol on the left and they lose their minds, having no idea that that symbol on the left is actually telling you about exactly where you are and your ascension up to God. The middle one there is Fu Wa, Nu Wa and Fu Chi. And they're, they're holding what? A compass is in square. To the right, there's the Buddha stupa. What is that? It's a square base in a round heaven. Circle and square, uh, of course, the Vitruvian man. We've talked a lot about this. So you see around the world, these, these high cultures using geometry as the basis of understanding theology. Literally the construction of their temples. Why? Well, because innate in that geometry is qualities that help us understand where we are. Once again, why is heaven given the distinction of a circle? Because we can't measure it. Because of pi. You can never truly measure the circle. You always have to approximate. Okay, so why do you think they gave heaven the circle? Because what's upstairs? Everything that's above you is considered, in this sense, metaphysical. You, it's beyond, meta means beyond the physical. It's unknown, it's incorruptible, it's incorporeal, it's celestial, and it's spiritual. Down here is the physical, known as the earth or the square. Hence, why do we use the square? Because we can measure things down here, right? We can, uh, you know, uh, we can, um, you know, that sort of thing. We can, uh, it's material, it's matter, it's corporeal, okay? So when we ascend up, literally as we're on this physical ground, right? And we ascend up in consciousness, what we're doing is when we ascend up, we're literally ascending up into metaphysical realms that are not in some realms like that you have to imagine in some, or they're lost in some ancient books. No, 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 no. It's literally your experience. When you ascend up, what you're ascending up in our, as you look up is beyond metaphysicality. As you go higher in this dome that we are in, you transcend physicality, and you keep going into higher and higher dimensions and ultimately up and out of this place where there is no way to explain where you are. And we'll show you this. This is why it's called the firmament. This is where you live. How do we understand our, our creation? Now, we can't actually stand outside of the creation, so we, don't under, we can't really stand outside and look at it. But what do we understand? What did the ancients tell us? It's a celestial sphere that's surrounding our flat earth. How do we understand that? Ge geometry, obviously. What's a sphere? There's no way you could possibly understand that with geometry. So what is the sphere? What is the circle? It encapsulates the most amount of space with the least amount of effort. So when God made this place, he's like, I'm going to grab everything. Now, if we want to talk about what's outside of the dome, we go up levels of consciousness and all of a sudden we're going to get to a metaphysical barrier up and out of basically to a place where you can't explain anything. Words fail. Um... 
so there we are. We can see, oh, there's there's God, right? This this uh, The transcendent God that's up in the top, up and out of the dome, out of the firmament, this metaphysical barrier that's keeping us in. And beyond that is what would be God. Now, once, once we get beyond that, we all words fail. This is the point, okay? And I'll show that in just a second. You're, this is why it's called the firmament. Because when you when we look out, you are looking in. Okay? When you look out there, you're like looking out. You, really what you're doing is looking as a reflection in. This is as above, so below. So within, so without. There's no separation. What you're looking out, you're, that's all, in this sense, all in here. This is why it's called a firmament. Ament. The dome of your mind reflects the dome of the heavens. This is what the, you know, we've talked lots about this. But this is literally what firmament means. Firm means make firm, established, securely fixed in place, and ment comes from mental. It means mentum, mind. So they literally named the thing a firmament, and it's a reflection of what? Your mind. So once again, the geometry of good thinking. We talked about this place up and out of the firmament, the dome, to God Almighty, the oneness and totality of God. The entrance to that is at the pole star. This is the whole thing, the, our whole cosmology literally the entire thing, is made for what? Our spiritual ascension up and out of here. The entire thing. That pole star in the center is the place, in this sense, where you go up and out of the dome, out of materiality, out of dimensionality. As you ascend up those levels, you literally lose dimensionality until you get up and out. Once you get up and out, you, uh, we'll talk about that in a second, you, you can't describe anything. It, you, words fail, numbers fail. Language fails. Categorizations fail. Everything fails because it's a, it's a place of pure, in, in this sense, um, paradox in, 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 many, in many senses. This is why you know, we never received a, a proper education. And as I've come to find with most people, um, <laughs> when you actually, um, you know, like I'm very scholarly. I've spent many, many years studying and things like that. People are very, um, they're scared. It's intimidating, intellectual, scholarly things. And so what they'll do is they'll just be like, I don't need that. But a proper education, which would be the, the you know, the seven classic liberal, liberal arts, um, this was the foundation of us understanding, you know, when you, when you studied the quadrivium and trivium, what it was was the foundation of understanding your world. This was a proper education. Now, we didn't get any of this. We didn't get the proper education in numbers and geometry and, and everything we've been told about, you know, th this stuff is completely convoluted, okay? So we never got this. So what I'm trying to do right now is give people that education if they want it. Now, a lot of people don't want that education because they, really, they don't really want to know, you know? But, it, you know, this is the quadrivium. There, you know, you can't understand the main symbol of the Jesus fish without your basics in geometry. There's just no way to do it. Hence why Kabbalah becomes so important. So when we look at this cosmology, right? Sorry, let me go back to our cosmology. Our entire cosmology is what? How do we understand it? With one, this is the monad. How many times have we brought up the monad? This is the circle. This is made by the compass. So God has given us not only the geometry, the numbers right in front of us, but the tools to help us understand how he imagined and created this, this world. It's based off the monad. 
this is what the quadrivium and what you know a proper education will will bring you to understand your world. God is a circle whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere. This has been attributed to like St. Augustine and Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus and Voltaire, tons of different people allegedly have said this, but it's true. Okay, and this is why our cosmos, you know, people ask like, why is flat earth so important? Well, because if you want to know how to get up and out of here, you have to understand your cosmology. This is why cosmology is one of the quadrivium, music, number, geometry, and cosmology. Why is flat earth important? It's infinitely important because it's truth and God made it. What, what this does, when we understand our cosmology too, is it grounds us. It places us at the center appropriately. Where God made everything in the center is us. It gives us a proper framework to expressly understand our experience. We can trust God. It, it puts faith in action. When you go out and you, your common sense is what? Well, this thing isn't moving. Pretty flat, pretty stationary. I look up and as far as I can tell, everything is revolving around me. Why? Because that's exactly what's happening. Look how many lies. Look how much propaganda. Look how many things that they've had to lay over such a, such a basic truth just to get us so that we don't know where we are. Well, why don't they want us to know where we are? Because if we know where we are, then we know how to get out of here. We know those ascension levels up. We can look at the pole star and be like, damn, do you know what's right beyond that? Well, we'll talk about that in just a second. What's right beyond this firmament? When you look up, you go outside tonight, you look up at those stars, you go look at the north, look at the pole star, stare straight at it and look at it and say, what's right beyond you? Ask that question. Well, we're going to cover that today. What's beyond that? We can't fathom. We literally cannot fathom. Because it fails descriptors, it fails categories. Numbers, forget numbers, that's retarded. Language, blah, blah, blah. You might as well say this. What's up there? Blah. <laughs> that's the most you can say about it. That's the most you can say about it. The, and and we'll, we'll talk about, um, there's like a thing called apophatic and cataphatic statements, where it's this idea, an apophatic statement is like, God is not wise, right? This is a classic example. Well, no, God is not wise and no, God is beyond the ability of being not and something. Like can and can't, those are distinguishing categories and, and that sort of thing that God is beyond. So we can't fathom that. Literally, it's beyond metaphysicality. You know, it's, it's beyond everything. We just can't even, any words that we say fails. Now, we actually experience this failure of being able to describe what's above us. In our very experience, we don't have to read dusty old books about the transcendent path and pick up a Bible or a Upanishads to understand this shit. Just go outside. What's the sun? Tell me, what's the sun? I don't know. Is it a sphere or is it a disc? I don't know. <laughs> How far away is it? I don't know. Well, we can't go and touch it. So we can't, because it's allegedly too hot, right? So we can't actually figure out if it's spherical or, or a disc or what it's made of. How about the moon? Can we do that? No. What is it made out of? I don't know. How far away is it? I don't know. Is it spherical? Uh, looks like it, but can you prove that? No. So literally as you go out at night and you look up at the stars and the wandering planets, words fail. Categorizations start to fail. Is that a sphere or is it not a sphere? I don't know. Are we ever going to know? No. Well, I mean, maybe when we get up and out of here. Do you see what we're saying? Right there. Now, this place in which we can't fathom, we'll talk about the word fathom in just a second. This place that we can't fathom, that descriptors fail, where is it? Literally right Look up. 
It's not some dimension somewhere in some dreamy land that you have to go into some meditation and experience. No, literally levels of, of ascension of consciousness, levels of being able to describe what, what is up there and what you're seeing start to fail the further and further you go up. Then you get to a point, which we, which we understand as the pole star, you get up and out of there, boom, you're done. You can't be like, well, there's extra numbers up there or there's new forms. Nope, words completely fail. We can't fathom it. We can't fathom what's up there. Fathom is a great word. It's a unit of length equal to six feet. So that's a fathom. It's something that's understand a difficult problem or an enigmatic purpose after much thought. Like, oh, I can fathom that or I can't fathom that. But fathom is the measure of the depth of water, which is exactly what we're doing. We can't fathom the depth, the water that's up there. It's the depth of water. The fathom is a unit of length of equal. You can't measure it. In other words, I can't fathom it. I can't measure it. Because it's not, it loses form. Categorizations fail. Where is this place? Literally right beyond. Right beyond our dome. And this is not my opinion. This, this literally is um, how the Bible explains our cosmology. Not only the Bible. There's other you know, religions all over the world that do this. We can't fathom that. Fathom is uh, a unit of length equal to six feet. And six feet, how many inches are in a foot? 12. So six times 12 would be 72. So a, a unit of length equal to six feet. A foot is 12 inches. So six times 12 is 72. And Lord Jesus Christ is 72. It's just interesting. You know, we get up and up and it's like, oh, we can't, we start to can't fathom. What is the sun? Is it a ball? What's it mean? How does it keep burning? What happens to the moon when it goes into those phases and it like disappears? Is it gone? We literally can't say. Words fail. Categorizations fail. This is right in your experience. You don't need to go and pick through a bunch of old dusty books or, you know, go into the deep rest recesses of your mind. Nope. Look up. Now, when we talk about a place that we can't fathom, where like categorizations fail, now we can experience this. We can comprehend something that we, um, we can comprehend that there is something incomprehensible. We can comprehend that that we there is something that we cannot comprehend, which is like what that doesn't make any sense, but it's true. We can fathom things that we can't, or we can un, I don't want to say understand, but we can comprehend or or uh, see to exist things that we can't understand. Okay. Now, w what takes us to places like this? A psychedelic experience can absolutely take you to a place where all of a sudden, boom, categorizations fail. Boundaries fail. Descriptors fail. Names and phrases and things f fail. Next thing you know, your arm's like going into the freaking wall and you're like one with things. And, you know, you can't tell the difference between your your, you know, interior mind and your exterior, you know, it depends on how hard you're tripping or whatever, but you can actually experience something like that. Now, what happens is people get stuck on that and they always want to go to it and then they don't bring anything out. They don't have any um, foundation for their metaphysics at all. So they just eat some mushrooms and like, oh my God, it's amazing. And then, well, no, you can't, you know, you need to understand what you're experiencing. And this is why psych, this is why one of the reasons God made psychedelics this is, uh, it's also called synesthesia, which I've absolutely experienced. Synesthesia is an anomalous blending of the senses in which the stimulation of one modality simultaneously produces sensation in a different modality, allowing one to hear colors, feel sounds, and taste shapes. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all. What you're hearing, 
you're hearing shapes and tasting sound or what? This is exact, but this is exactly what we mean. So when people try try to, um, uh, where is it? Fathom. When people try to start explaining the levels of going up and up and out and what's outside, and they they're, they're trying to explain this to you. I, what are you talking about? No, no, no. We know that beyond there, just because of our experience, we can say, well, we, we're losing the ability to explain that shit. That's exactly how God made it. So this is what you'll get with people, and I've seen this on debates all the time, that they're literally trying to talk about something that you can't talk about. This is why This is why in, in Hebrew they say the name, Hashem. God is Hashem. It's just the name. What's his name, though? Well, it's like we give it Jehovah or like in Christianity, we say, oh, Jesus Christ, whatever, right? But ultimately those fail because when you get beyond there, all categorizations fail. So people will argue, and I've seen this in debates, well, people will argue about what's beyond the beyond and then try to explain it and categorize it and shit. It's so dumb. It's so beyond dumb. And this is a this is a standard when you see these like Christian debates and orthodoxy and stuff. These are stupid epistemological questions that people ask to sound intelligent. But really, if you know what you're talking about, those people just look like idiots, right? It's like, can God make a circle so large he cannot draw it? No, you're putting boundaries on God. You're telling God that he can and cannot. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We're we're into a place where we can't fathom. You're trying to make boundaries to try to describe God, right? And then say, can he do things? That, no, no, no. Beyond this is beyond can and can't. You can do something and you can't do something. Those are categorizations that all of a sudden, whoop, those are gone. Those are gone. That's what's literally look up. Just beyond. That's what you. That's what's there. And that's called heaven. It's called the unity and totality of God. So what people will do, like they take, they make these like ontological questions and, you know, questions in epistemology and things like that. There's another one. Can God create a rock so big that he cannot lift it? That's retarded. That's like, that's like, reminds me of that joke when I was young. It's like, if you're paddling down the street and all four wheels fall off your canoe, how many pancakes does it take to fill holes in a doghouse? 13, because you can't sew buttons on ice cream. That's how dumb that is right? And people are using this as like some, you know, can God lie? (laughs) Can God fart a toot so smelly that his nose cannot handle its stench? (laughs) This is what you'll find in these debate forums. And literally all they have to do to understand the fact that those questions are ridiculous literally is to look up. That's it. That's it. What do you, exactly what you experience? Well, uh, I'm losing descriptors here. It looks like a sphere, but not really. But maybe it is, but we can't know. A gnosis, knowledge gnosis, Gnosticism, is understanding what you can know, knowing it intimately, understanding what you can't know, and knowing that intimately, and then being able to decide, and be able to, you know, uh, differentiate those two things. So, so what is outside of, when we talk about an apophatic statement, we say, oh, well, God is not wise or wise. No, he's beyond the category. If we can, so then we would go to, I think would be like a cataphatic statement or basically like a descriptor. Okay. What can we say about God? What is the most we can say about God? This is it. That this being that is surrounding us, right? Now, what would we say? Well, outside we're losing dimensionality. The only thing we can do to to describe this is put another sphere around it. That's it. Now, that's just a metaphor, because what are we talking about? Well, we're in a place beyond dimensionality. We're beyond, 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 beyond. 
Where is that? Look right up. You don't need to imagine a bunch of stuff. What is the most we can say about this thing that created everything and is surrounding the entirety of the earth? That it's full of love, mercy, grace, beauty, forgiveness, compassion, understanding. It is, it is a glory so great that we cannot even comprehend it. And we already talked about this. We can, we can comprehend that there's something that we can't comprehend, right? But we can't even understand the love, the mercy, the grace, the beauty, the forgiveness, the compassion, the understanding that this creation, that this creator has made. Literally encircling the entirety of the creation. And this is what we mean by the whole body of Christ from whom the whole body fit joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto edifying of itself in love. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, <laughs> which is what? Which is what? Read that top. Which is the head? Which is the head, even in Christ? Wait a second. Wait a second. I I think we're making some proper connections now. We talked about the ascension of consciousness. We talk about it all the time. It heads up to your head, which is the what? The Aries, the Lamb, the Ram. And we understand that in the human body to be what? R literally the pole star. And then they're saying, hey, grow up. The entire thing is of love. And then when you get up and out of it, guess what that is? God is love. So, what is outside of God? There's not. Inside, outside, what are you talking about? Categories fail. Stop. That's ridiculous. That's like saying can and cannot. So what people will do, will try to take God that's in this, in this dimension, that has these qualities, and then try to draw him down into the world and then, and then argue about it. It's ridiculous. This is the other thing. When you talk about, we're going to discuss evil. God did not reach outside of himself to create creation. There is no outside of God. Look, use your head, use your heart, use your mind, use those geometric forms. Okay? No, ultimately, the only thing we can do is say, well, there's this totality thing that's embracing everything, and it's the only thing we can say is a circle. Well, well what is that? I don't know. Words fail. So what is outside of God? Nothing. There is no outside of God. Okay? So God did not reach outside of himself to create creation. There's no, that's not a thing. <laughs> outside of God does not exist. God said, let there be light. And when God said, let there be light, everything that came out came from within God. Came from within God. So when he said, I'm going to, like in his mind, right in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Right? And blah, 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 blah. And then God said, let there be light. Which means God, in this whole, the beginning of Genesis, he's dreaming up creation in his mind, thinking it up. And then when he decided to make it, he's like, Rah! and everything that we experience, everything that we see is from this God inside of God. God, let there be light. The, the light came from within God in the form of his word. The creation is the essence of this word. And hence why there are, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, God is love. That's why you, John, of course, right? Everything that is created is made from the essence of that which is God. There is no not God. That's ridiculous. So what you'll, so, and then we look at our creation and we're, we're going to talk about evil now. We're going to talk about the demiurge. We're going to talk about evil. Try to suss some of this out. 
What what does Genesis say? When God made this creation, is it evil? Is it to be cursed? Is it say fuck this place, man? Did he did God say this place is the most amazing thing ever? This is great. You should hang out down here. No, nope, he didn't say either one of those things. Actually, what God said is a very balanced thing. It's not amazing and great and, oh, it's the best place ever and it's a paradise. And it's also not hell in a shithole. It's good. It's good. So he says, he repeats it. God called the dry land earth. He saw it. It was good. Not evil. Not to be cursed. Not to be cast down. Be, you know, belittled. God saw it was good. Then he repeats it. This is all Genesis. And it was good. This place is good. If you do not come to the recognition that ultimately the earth has a purpose and is, and is good, then you don't understand God. It was good. It was good. It was very good, he says. And God saw everything that he had made. Everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Now, a lot of people will go around saying that the world is run by evil, right? And the, our world right now is run by evil. No, actually, God runs our world. Right? God runs our world. We'll talk about the difference between world and the earth. Those are two different things. We'll go into that right now. A lot of people will read the Bible and they'll say, well, it says in the Bible that the God of this earth is the devil. The God of this world is the devil. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that God or that the devil created earth? No, no. John 14, 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world he's talking about satan hath nothing in me okay so jesus is saying the prince of this world this world in whom the god of this world 2 corinthians 4 4 now pay attention to the language in whom the god lowercase g of this world not earth of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believeth not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine onto them. So why don't they see Christ? Well, because the, the, the God of this world hath blinded their minds. Well, who's the God of this world? John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Interesting. So you can just read. Now, I recently I've heard several people say this, that it says in the Bible that Satan is the God of this world. Yes, it does. It does. But even even literalist biblical you know, researchers, people that are just literalists, the, this 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 answer comes from gotquestions.org or whatever. Literally, it's the I think it's like the first thing that came up in a Google search. Even literalist Christians will tell you that to read that scripture and think that Satan is the constructor of the earth is ridiculous. The, this comes from literalist guys. The phrase God of this world or God of this age indicates that Satan is the major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of the majority of people. Would you say today, that Satan is the lowercase God of this world. I would agree. Why? Well, because what has, um, like a virus, if you will, what has invaded the hearts and minds of people in our world age today? Are we, are we upstanding, loving, you know, compassionate, just, you know, people, or, or have we let the devil in too much? Okay, we'll get to that. It says, his influence, Satan's, also encompasses the world's philosophies, education, and commerce. I mean like today. 
The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from the lies and deceptions. When the Bible says specifically, here I will not much, um, for the prince of this world, in whom the God of this world, now is the judgment of this world, and the world passeth away. Many people think that this means the physical earth. It does not. It does not. This is a fundamental flaw in reading the Bible. This is a reference to the World Ages Doctrine, which is very much, very much celebrated in mystical Christianity. Uh, from the Winchester Bible, showing the seven ages, basically the idea, what is the idea of the ages of the world? That the notion of the world or the cosmos is a living thing. It is. It undergoes stages of development similar to those to the in human individual. Um, and they say it's more of a poetic conceit. I don't think it's poetic at all. It is a ubiquitous belief. One that is dis frequently displayed in linguistic phenomenon. This is an idea that the world is the life or the age of man. The life of the world is not there specifically to talk about the earthly matter, the earthly world, the earthly, the earthly material mat wor uh, earth, right? The, the world and earth are two different things. When they mention the world, they're talking about a world age. That means, you know, what people are thinking, how they're acting, that sort of thing. How much is God in the hearts and minds of people and how much is Satan? And that determines your world age. This is specifically what they're talking about. So when people come to the conclusion that, oh, Satan is the creator of this, this earth. No, 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 no. God created the heaven and the earth. It's the first thing in the book. Now, Satan, in this sense, can uh, be in the hearts and minds of people. And we'll get into that in just a second. And then that can dominate. And that's what's happening right now. Okay. This comes from the Bible. Notice the difference between world and earth. Okay. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? The earth, the earth is going to stay around. There's not, if you, if you're listening to somebody that's like, oh, we're all going to ascend out of here. Everybody's going to up the whole earth. All the people on the earth, we're all going to hold hands and ascend out of here, uh, up and away from pain and suffering. And then the earth will be dissolved no more. And that'll be apocalypse. That is somebody that does not understand the basics, the basics of the world age doctrine, the basics of the Bible. And, you know, the, the, uh, the basics of um, the qualities of what happens in these age, ages. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. I'll create a new, that's a world age doctrine. New heavens and a new earth. What's new? The framework in which people live, how they act, that sort of stuff. We're not building, I'll show that in just a second. One generation, pass, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. There's no end to the world. There's an end of the world. Is there an end to the earth? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. This, is, I, this comes from a line in a song I wrote, and it says, um, the cold of these times ain't got me froze. Okay, and this is a challenge. This is a great challenge for humanity right now is to look at this earth. So you can see then this is what they were building in ages past in obviously a fucking glorious age. <laughs> Holy shnikes, right? You obviously had some sort of golden age going on right, you know, back then. Whoever was, whoever was building this, I don't know. I'm not making the claim. But now look at, now, now look to the right. Now, now. Okay. No, those are, those are, our archaeological record almost like gives us 
proof positive that there have been world age changes, okay? Now, we live in a world age that's on the right, the now. We're not building the Gothic cathedrals, are we, right? And so what happens? People look out into the world, they see the pain, the suffering, the evil, they see the state of the world, and then they extrapolate that, oh, we must be uh, under the spell of a demonic force, an evil, substantiated, actually, you know, physical, if you will, or metaphysical being or whatever that's fucking with us and punishing us and stuff like that. And because we can't see beyond our own time period. So there's then. You mean to tell me that they were, that, you know, that those people that built that, that they believed that Satan was the, you know, actual producer and creator of the earth? No. They understood world ages back then. The problem is, is we don't understand them now, which which forbids us from seeing past the pain, the torment, the torture, profanity, the nausea, suffering, perversion, calamity. So just remind yourself, the cold of these times ain't got me froze. Yeah, these times may be cold, but you got a fire within you. You got a divine spark within you that can light, you know, light this place up. So this is the problem with evil. Right, and this is what we see with a lot of these people that are talking about this as a simulacrum, or are they're claiming they're Gnostics, right? That don't understand basics of esoterica. But what they've done is they've they've talked about the demiurge, right? And they've made the demiurge like a physical, substantial being that's actually creating shit and fucking with people. And this is a huge issue, as I found on the web. And I'm getting roped into this stuff, and I'm going to speak directly against it. No, there is no satanic force that is creating things let's discuss this basic philosophy if god created evil then part of god's being is evil and if such is true god cannot be love so when we talked about we're you know what is outside of god we can't understand what's outside of god the only thing that we can understand outside of god is the only just you know descriptors we can give is love mercy grace beauty forgiveness compassion it's a glory so great we can, can't even comprehend it words fail names fail categorizations fail descriptors fail that's the that's the most we can say about it and even that fails and we're saying that god is love well if god created evil then I guess this he can't be all of love because part of it would be evil. If the Demiurge, we're talking about the Demiurge today, has tricked God, then the Demiurge is smarter than God. And then God can't be all-knowing. <laughs> so I guess the fundamentals of God being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent throw, are thrown out the window when all of a sudden you make an evil, malicious, malevolent, or satanic force a creator. A, a creator of physical things. That's not what's happening. And this is what, this is, as you'll see, what the actual mystical and actual Gnostic path and actual uh, you know, mystery tradition will teach you. If the Demiurge has tricked God, then the Demiurge is smarter than God. And then God can't be all-knowing. If God has allowed evil to exist when he could stop it, then God must be evil because he allows evil to exist. We'll tackle this. We'll tackle all these. So where does evil come from? If God is not physically making evil and God didn't physically make or, you know, metaphysically make this satanic thing that's messing with people, where does evil come from? Evil is created in the minds of man, hearts and actions of man. That's where evil comes from. God did not create evil. No part of God is evil. God has allowed evil to exist. Why? Well, where does it come from? By giving man the choice and the free will. So God has allowed evil to exist. Well, why? Doesn't that necessarily mean that if he's allowed it to exist, then he's evil? No. 
because evil has a purpose. So we cannot understand why evil is here, and we'll understand, and we'll get into the back into the ascension of consciousness here, unless we understand teleology. Teleology is basically just, hey, um, what is the purpose of this world? God must have a purpose. Why did God build earth? God could have just been hanging out, being God. He didn't need to go through all this. So why did he do it? Well, as we'll see that literally for our adventure. Alvin Boyd Kuhn, the great struggle in the human breast between the impulses of the natural man and the implanted seed of divine growth is ever so critical. The forces of evil resident in carnal man so persistently powerful the purpose of life in the flesh is to force souls who have come down here from the empyrean to exert themselves against pressure stress strain in order to develop their greater potential divinity evil where does evil come from it's the absence of good it's the furthest away from god god made a plan god god has an alignment that he wants it's the flow it's a way that he wants you to get in in with and when you follow that, you're following the, 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 the will of God. You're doing what he wishes. When you go against that, when you ignore it, you're doing evil. But when you specifically go against that, that's when you create or people create evil on earth. It's the absence of good. It's the furthest away. What's the furthest we can get to God? In, in this, in this in, within our sights and in our consciousness, right, in this dimensionality, What's the further? What's the closest we can get to God in this sense? There's a point right up in the pole star. That's the closest you can get. And what's beyond that? Words fail. If you get anybody that's going to try to explain what's beyond there, they don't understand the basics of cosmology. Hence why the quadrivium is important. So evil isn't a thing, a force that's creating things and messing with people. That's not how it works. Evil is created in the minds of man. Our quest here... This is specifically our our quest, is to recognize the interplay of good and evil that happens here and go towards God. That's through morality, ethics, our charity, our philanthropy, you know. So, Godfrey Higgins says this, All things are derived by emanations from one principle, and this principle is God. From him a substantiated power immediately proceeds, which is the image of God, and the source of all subsequent emanations. We know what the emanations are. God literally put him in front of us. This is Kabbalah. You don't have to you don't have to make up things or fantasize or read endless books about whatever. None of it. Literally God put the answer right in front of you. The second principle sends forth by the energy of emanation other natures which are more or less perfect according to their different degrees of distance and scale of emanation from the first source of creation. Matter this low, where we are right now, is nothing more than the most remote effect of emanative energy from deity. Evil is a necessary effect of the imperfection of matter. And that's actually what we're going to see. Um, I think it says it here, sorry. Human souls are distant emanations from deity, and after they are liberated from the material, material vehicles, will return through various stages of purification to the fountain, hence when they first proceeded. What are the stages of purification? We're just going to make these up. No, they're, it's literally Kabbalistic. God put them right in front of you. Then we're going to ascend those levels up and what? To the first point in which the whole thing proceeded. Where is that? Do we have to go, once again, imagining stuff and like dreaming of like world? No, literally just look up. 
evil is not a substance. This is the important point. So there's a lot of people out there that are talking about a simulacrum. This is a, this is a, a trap. This is an imprisonment. This is a whatever, that sort of thing, right? And what they've done, and this is a fundamental flaw in their theology and philosophy, and it's a dangerous one. And this is why I get harsh on this. It's a dangerous, dangerous one. Because what they've done is, cre- is made evil substantial, a, literally a creative force. The only problem with that is then, well, then you would have to assume that God made that evil force purposely, which means what? Just, I guess God is evil then, huh? You can't blame the evil force if God, the the all-loving thing, created the evil force. This is a fundamental flaw. Whenever you see somebody talking about the demiurge and relating it to Gnosticism as it is an actual metaphysical force, this is a fundamental flaw in their understanding. This is rampant right now on the web, just so you guys know. And this is why I talked about before when we discussed the demiurge. And we'll go and exactly, we'll just look at the word demiurge and exactly tell you what, what the demiurge is. Evil is not a substance. This comes from um, St. Augustine. Um, evil is not a substance. It's not substantial. It's not a thing that God created. God created men and gave them the potential to go against his will. For it is not God for its author. It does not exist. And so the defective corruption is nothing else than the desire or act of a misdirected will. I guess that was, uh, that's not Augustine. This is, uh, the steel is not evil, but the man who uses the steel for criminal purposes is evil. Evil is a vitium, a bad use of things as a result of erroneous decisions of the will. So, Whenever, so this is what you have right now. You have people talking about Gnosticism and there's a Demiurge and this Demiurge has created things and he's fucking with everybody and he's evil and all this other stuff and that we're trapped and it's in prison and all this other stuff. Anybody that's saying that stuff has zero understanding of what they're talking about. They've abandoned the unity of God and the love of God and replaced it with, you know, this Demiurgic force. Now the problem is, is that the fallen world in which we live was not created by a demiurge. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The very place in which people fell was not created by an evil force. It's the first thing that Genesis tells you. God created the heaven and the earth. God created the earth. So, this is, um, this is what you'll hear. Um, this actually comes from the Freemasonic Encyclopedia says to the latter indeed stylized uh, style them the unknown father um while the while the the while they made the creation of the world the creation of the world of matter the work of the demiurgos now so you'll have a lot of people that say oh this is what it says notwithstanding the large area of country over which this system of mystical mythical uh, mystical philosophy extended and they're talking about gnosticism um, there's a bunch of different sects and that sort of thing. The fundamental doctrine was everywhere held by the chiefs of Gnosticism. And this is what, this is what will be claimed. And I'll show you why this is wrong. This was the visible, cre- that this visible creation was not the work of a supreme deity, but of the Demiurgos, a simple emanation in several degrees removed from the Godhead. Now, once again, when you understand that esoterically, there's no problem because we're talking about literally emanations of God, of number. But the problem with this is what? Okay. This is like the same, um, this would be like saying, well, Christians, all Christians, right? All Christians believe, and this, we have record of this or something. All Christians believe that Jesus was a real man 
and was here 2,000 years ago. That's what the Christian doctrine believes. Well, actually, when you go into the mystery school tradition, you'll get tons of scholars that say complete opposite. Speaking of Alvin Boyd Kuhn, he just rails on these people. You know, you go to, you go to like, uh, what, Neville Goddard, and you can go to a whole host of people that basically say to look at Christianity as literalism is retarded. I mean, they'll use better words than that. But so somebody comes along and be like, Christianity is all about that these people believe 2,000 years ago that this man was here and then he's coming back. And that's what you would get with, and that's true. 99.9% .9 of Christians do believe that. Right? And you could say, well, Gnostics, they believe in the Demiurge. And maybe that's true. 99.9% .9 of people that claim to be Gnostics maybe do believe in a Demiurge. That doesn't mean that they're not full of shit. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like people that do Gematria on the web. How many people like, I do Gematria. No, you don't. You number crunch a bunch of shit and throw th numbers at each other and are in some sort of freaking, I don't know, parad... Deolic state or whatever, pareidolia, apophenia, you know what I'm saying. So, you know, this is the problem. It's like, number one, we don't have any extant records. None. None. But we know what these people believed? No, what you're dealing with is a highly esoteric system of knowledge that people have literalized. And that's the problem. So let's look at the Demiurge. So anybody that tells you this Demiurge is a creative force and it's messing with thing and it's made the earth and it's made all, no. This is what the Demiurge actually means. Demiurge comes from public or skilled worker, worker for the people. From demos, meaning common people. Demotic or ergos, that works. Common people that work. Demi, the, the prefix demi actually means half size, partially inferior degree. Taken in Platonic philosophy as the maker of the world, did he create the earth? No. God created the heaven and the earth. And that's why God said it was good. So anybody that's coming along and saying, this place is a hell, this place is a slop, this place is disgusting, this place is evil, they've abandoned God. And they've replaced it with essentially what they deem as Satan. Now, here's another point. The Demiurge is understood, this is why we don't even talk about this, because it's just a it's just a cluster screw is really what it is. The Demiurge is given all sorts of distinctions, and depending on what tradition you talk about, some people think the Demiurge is evil and mean and malicious and malevolent and messing with us, and in other instances, it has no, it's just a maker. It's, it has no, it's like amoral, it doesn't really care. So you don't even have a consistent idea of what the Demiurge is, and people are arguing about it. So let's just go to the words because words matter. Taken in Platonic philosophy as the maker of the world, not the earth, not the material world, the, not the material earth, the world, the world age. Conceived as a being subordinate to the supreme being and sometimes the author of evil, sometimes not. So people automatically assume demiurge. They think that there's, you know, this, they assume it's evil, Right, And then you actually go in and try to suss out what all of these different traditions have thought about it, and they don't even agree. Now let's go to the word. Demotic, of or belonging to the people, pertaining to the common people, vulgar, common people. That's what demiurge means. Demiurge means public worker. Demiurgo in philosophy is a subordinate God who fashions and arranges the physical world to make it conform to a rational eternal idea. Plato adopted the term, which in ancient Greece had originally been ordinary word for craftsman or artisan. So, where is the, how is the demiurge working? Who is the demiurge in this sense working through? 
man. That's where it's created. Where does evil create it? When we decide to go against the will of God. That's literally what Demiurge means. The one who exercises a work. There are many examples. A minister of parliament, a carpenter, a vine grower, an ironsmith, a surgeon, a dramatist, a creator, inventor, a maker. Demiurgos also is also known as the mind. The demiurge is, this is one of the things that came up. The demiurge is not an omnipotent being. It only exercises power over material reality according to forms it did not create. Because the devil and any other thing besides God does not create. We, we create, of course. We, we're co-creators. And what do we, what, we'll talk about that in just a second. And what are we allowed to co-create? Beauty or, or demonic shit? Plotinus, Plotinus's form of Platonic idealism is to treat the demiurge, the mind, the noose, as the cont- contemplative faculty within man, which orders the force into conscious reality. That's exactly what's happening. That's true. In this, he claimed to reveal Plato's true meaning. Of course, this is esoteric. What do you have? People reading it exoterically, coming to wild outlandish conclusions like there's some physical freaking thing or metaphysical being that's literally creating things. No, God creates all things. In this, he claimed, Plotinus, claimed to reveal Plato's true meaning of the Demiurge, a doctrine he learned from the Platonic tradition and did not appear outside the academy. That's, that's exactly how it works. Just like the Pythagorean schools, just like the Egyptian schools, unless you were in that academy, you didn't understand. This is what he's saying. So now we got people outside of these academies trying to understand the Ergos, the Demi-Ergos and stuff like this, making it a physical creator God that's evil. And literally they're telling you, not only is he saying it, Plotinus is, you know, you you have all these other, uh, the, the words, the etymology, literally telling you what? Where does evil come from? Just as we say, there is no, there is no creator God that's create, you know, there is no God that's making evil. What is it? Um, it's whatever. I've, I lost my, uh, it's, it's made in the mind of us. We are the co-creators with God, not puppets on a string waiting for something to happen. So that public worker, the skilled worker, the, the, the you know, the man, the common people, the demiurgos, where's the devil created? You create it. What you have with these people that have made the demiurgos this like physical creator God that's satanic and evil and stuff like that and literally making stuff in our world, what they've done is, what they're doing is actually they have in, in their internal world, they're in pain, they're in suffering, they're trauma. They see evil and what they're doing is now taking this internal world and they're looking at it. This is, their eyes are seeing. That's all they're seeing. Oh, there's evil there and evil there and suffering there and trauma there and conspiracies there and pain there and that's all they're seeing in this world. Well, that's not, a, that's not a balanced view at all. That's a completely imbalanced view. It's so imbalanced that your internal world is now externalizing this demonic force, literally manifesting it. And this is exactly what they're telling you the Demiurge does. Where is it? It's in the common worker. You get out of this creation what you put in. That's exactly, and this is the lesson, one of the lessons we're going to learn today. You get out of this creation what you put in. If you want more, you give more. There is no elevator up to the top of the pole star. There's no elevator to, I heard that they're actually building one though, which is ridiculous, but there's no elevator up to Everest. You got to climb. 
If you want you want Everest, fucking make the trek. But it's hard. Yeah. This is, uh, I think it's from John, I think. Um, maybe, I don't know. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. As to the Lord, not unto men. Do everything you do. And this is what we talk about. When you're in this life, you do everything with compassion. You do everything with passion, compassion, gusto. You put 100% into things. This is what I talked about. Like when I went to work at the vet, I, I ended up getting a raises. I started at $11 an hour. I fucking started at a job as a 40-year-old man at $11 an hour. And I was happy to take it because I wanted to work with animals. Anyway, after a, literally a month or a couple weeks or whatever it was, I ended up getting a ton of raises. Because when I was there, I was picking up dog shit, but I put 100% into it. And I watched as the rest of these younger like generation around me, they would do everything to just slack off or whatever, not pay attention. You know, No, you put 100% in. And then guess what? You're going to get 100% back. Because that's what God, that's, that's how it works. The devil does not create. The serpent is merely a tempter. And that's exactly how he's, he's shown. It isn't to say that God didn't make the tempter when he was in paradise. No, he made, the serpent's going to do what he's doing. He also made Adam and Eve and gave them the choice to say, hey, you could fall. You're in fucking paradise right now, bro. And you could stay here. Or you could listen to that serpent as it slithers and slimes in your ear. This. What's the lesson? They didn't listen to God. They listened to the serpent. They made a choice. It wasn't forced on them. How about COVID-19? Were you forced to wear that mask? No, you weren't. But no, they were going to fire me. You could have quit. Could have found a different job. You could have done a billion other things. But they forced me to get the jab. No, they didn't. It was an offer. It was a tempt. They tempted you. And it isn't to say they didn't put pressure on you. Yeah, no, you know, I'm not saying that. No one, not one single person was forced to take that jab. Now, we could say the children were forced to take that jab. But then that falls on the parents. Because the parents are ultimately responsible for the children. So automatically you say, well, what about the children? Yeah, they got screwed too. This is what we can go into reincarnation and hence all of that sort of stuff. What about the aborted baby? That, that was their one chance in life? No, no. Okay. Adam and Eve were offered a life away from paradise and a choice to go against the will of God. They made that choice. You can't say, and what did they do? Then they, they, they made the choice. Then they went and blamed everybody. Victim. They blamed everybody else instead of actually being responsible for your actions and taking 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 this life by the freaking reins. What did they do? Oh, it was her fault. It was his fault. It was the snake's fault. No. Own up. This is this is the great lesson. You know, if you make a mistake, own up for it. You know, if you do wrong, own up for it. Then you're going to then God's going to be like, "Cool." They accepted to go against the will of God. And what do they do? They place blame on everybody but themselves. In other words, they played the victim. God created the, God created the world in which Adam and Eve fell. It was not created by a serpent. It wasn't created by a devil. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he knew that this entire scenario when he made this, that it was going to happen. Why? Because God's all-knowing. So he didn't make the scenario and just like, then made these you know, beings not knowing what they were going to do. He made the earth in which you fell into. It wasn't created by a devil. What we have going on right now is people looking at the world, the strife, the pain, all of this sort of stuff and be like, ah, and they can't see beyond it. 
God created the world in which Adam and Eve were to fall. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Not in the beginning, God created heaven and the place you want to go. And then the demiurge or the devil or the Satan created earth. Nope. Nope. Whenever you have anybody that is claiming that that life itself is victim victimization, you're a victim, right? Well, not, not only are you not understanding the basics of Genesis and how it was a choice. I'm not saying we weren't tricked. You just like you could say, well, I was tricked to take the jab. You still had a choice. Don't deny it. Anybody that's going around claiming that they're a victim is not on a spiritual path. I, I mean, I will, I will just tell you this. Like, and when I hear that, this is a huge, huge red flag for me. This is this is a this is a, a close one to me because it's something that I've been fighting against for a long time. Anybody that comes to you and claims that they're a, that life, the situation that they're in, is that they are a victim, turn them off, shut them off, because they have no idea what they're talking about. Because really, what they're doing is once again, that's their internal world that they're letting bleed out and look at everything, and then they're coming to the sweeping conclusion and then telling you that. If anybody, if there's any single person out there that is on a spiritual path that is claiming victimhood. They're not on a spiritual path. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. God is love. We are surrounded by that love. Yes, we understand there's pain here. We understand there's suffering. We understand all of that sort of stuff. And we'll get to that in just a second. But you ultimately have to come to the conclusion that this place is worth it. God is good. God is love. And that matter matters. Why does matter matter? Because God made it. Those claiming that there is no meaning to this existence. I've heard that a lot lately. Or that earth is a prison. I've heard that a lot lately. That we are enslaved by dark forces. I've heard that a lot lately. Or our soul's journey, reincarnation here is a trap. No, it's not. It's a sacred process that God made. What these people are doing, if you hear that, I'm here to tell you, you should probably shut them off. Because what they're displaying is what is known as a victim mentality. Victimhood is the very opposite of enlightenment. And this is why we don't talk about the demiurge and stuff like that. Because not only is it a completely convoluted subject, because it's so many issues with that. But not only that, is that when people go to understand that, what do they do? They bring with it a victim mentality. You're a, you're a walking child of God in the flesh. Victimhood is the very opposite of enlightenment. It has literally nothing to do with Gnosis. So there's lots of people out there that are claiming Gnostic this and Gnostic that, and then they're claiming victimhood. You do not put on the six pieces of the armor of God to go dilly-dally in your safe space. The six pieces of the armor of God is made for a warrior. That's what you are. This is called the hero's journey. That's what we're on. This is not the victim's trap. You're a hero. You got a princess to save. You got a serpent to fucking slay. And that's what you're here to do. And anybody that's claiming that they're, oh, this is a trap and oh, all this, that's, they're inside. That's what's going on in their head, in their heart. That's what's going on in here and it's bleeding out. And then their world, their, their worldview is literally tainted by it. They're like, ah, we'll get to that in just a second. This is the hero's journey. It is not the victim's trap. That's what you're on right here. Yes, yes. Oh, we know that there's going to be some hell you're going to have to go into. You got to sharpen that sword. Absolutely. And God knew that, that you were going to have to undergo this. 
And at the end of the day, even after all the pain, the torment, the torture, the family, nausea, suffer, perversion, calamity, all of that sort of stuff, did God say it was worth it? Yes, he did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Any of those people that are claiming demiurgos or God, you know, any of that sort of stuff, they are lost on their spiritual journey. They're looking to place blame when really the blame that they need to look in is here. You are not a victim. You're on a journey. You're on a path. And you're supposed to be a warrior. And you're supposed to grab that, that six-piece of armor of God, that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and cut through all the pain and suffering in this life. Earth is an adventure. It's the greatest adventure ever. Only God's chosen people, His elect, His the royal, that's you, and the divine made in His image get the chance to experience the greatest drama ever conceived. That's what this is. It's the great. No, I'm not saying sometimes it's not a tragic, you know, a tragic comedy or you know uh, that sort of stuff. No, no, no. We understand that, but you cannot deny that this is the greatest adventure ever. What what is included in this adventure called life? Well, when God made this place, he knew that there was the potentiality of all that stuff on the left there, right? The terror and the fear and the rape and the evil and the torture and the pain and the suffering and the conspiracies. That's all the stuff that happens down here. And you know what you have with people that are believing in this literal like, you know, that this is a trap, this is a prison. They're only looking at that. That's the only thing that they see in this world. They see a slop of a world. It's hell down here. It's a mess. It's just full of pain and torture and that's it. No, it's not. You're not being honest. That's not a balanced worldview at all. That's not a triangle worldview as we'll see. Perfectly balanced worldview. No, because included in that, the, the, the terror and the, fe the fear and the pain and the evil and the torture and the, the suffering and all that included in that is what also? Well, the sport. The fun of outdoors, invention, discovery, dance, song, music, falling in love, falling out of love, and then actually falling in love. <laughs> right, baby? Um, <laughs> adventure, poetry, theater, love, romance, family, joy, mastery of crafts, exploration. Life affords infinite possibilities. And for those infinite possibilities to exist, you have to have both sides of those spectrums. Now, what you have with people that believe that are that are looking at this world as the as the place of a oh, it's all evil and we're we're constantly being messed with and we're held down here by a dark force, what they're doing is they're looking at all the stuff on the left, and that's all they're seeing. That's all they're seeing that goes on down here. But they're forgetting about the other aspect. What about the song? What about the dance? What about the adventures? What about the poetry? What about the first time you looked into your, your child's eyes or when they were born? Everything, everybody loses everything here, guys. Everything. Now, what happens though? Do we actually lose it? Does God lose things? It's so funny. Like I used to have, I'm a fucking idiot sometimes, right? We're idiots sometimes, guys. Just say it. Just speak it. We're idiots. We're, we're so dumb that we think that like that when we like, for instance, like if you've had a loved one, like let's say you've, um, let's say you lost your, your mother and father. Okay. And you're, and you're like, Oh God, I love them so much. And it's just, it was just amazing. You know, in the flesh we had, you know, I just, I really cared for my mom and dad. And then next thing you know, they're, they're gone. And now, um, I'm never going to see them again. Think about that. There's people that actually believe that. Wait a second. 
You mean, you mean God is so full of love and beauty and mercy and grace and understanding and forgiveness that he's going to make something, have you love it, be in, like, and then when it goes, you just have the pain and that's it? No. Do you know what, our, do you know what we're told by cultures around the world? That guess what? You will, you will again see your ancestors. You will again see your loved ones. Do you know how many cultures talk about that? There's this line, there's this thing in uh, this this uh, show, Northern Exposure, where um, Ed, who's like the shaman kind of Indian guy, right? And he's talking to Joel Fleischman, who's like the Jew guy, right? And he's and he's like, um, he asks, he's, uh, Joel asks him, like, hey, do you believe in ghosts, right? Do you believe in like physical spirit, metaphysical spirits, that sort of thing, right? And Ed's like, well, yeah, of course. And then Joel, uh, Joel Fleischman's like, well, if that were true, then there'd be spirits all over. This place would be gridlocked. It'd be like Grand Central Station. And Ed's retort was, well, it is. It is. You're surrounded by, in, in other words, your dead ones, right? The people that have passed as you miss so much. Number one, think about this. If reincarnation is true, like they could be here in the flesh with you in a different body. Let's take my Aunt Katie, for instance. My Aunt Katie was this um, wonderful, loving being. She was so, like, kind and had a beautiful heart, right? And she always loved, like, you know, she would always be singing little songs and she'd always be laughing and stuff like that. But you know what? My Aunt Katie was had a lot of pain. There was a lot of pain going on inside her. And that pain actually showed on the outside because she was extremely obese, like 400 pounds obese. Like, she was in a lot of pain. Now, I don't know if my Aunt Katie actually got up to heaven. I have no idea, right? Because I don't judge not, let's do not judge. We have no idea. That's between my Aunt Katie and God, and that's it, okay? Now, let's say my Aunt Katie didn't go up and ascend those levels of consciousness and get all the way to the top and up and out of that thing. That means that my Aunt Katie, her soul, right, is here. She died like what it was? I don't know how many years ago it was. Let's just say it was 10 years ago. That means there could be a child walking around right now, a 10-year-old child that is that is that is the body of my aunt Katie. Think about that. Think about that. Your aunt, did you have an aunt die, a mom die, a brother die, a sister die, a child die? How long ago was that? If they didn't make it up and out and into like into you know total unity with God, then what? They were reconstituted, as we know in in uh, you know in uh, reincarnation. They're reconstituted into the biological kingdom down here. So if that if that means my aunt Katie didn't ascend, that means I could have met her in another person down here. Think about it. If she didn't make it to heaven, then she's somewhere in a body down here. I know she didn't go to hell. She was way too sweet for that. Hell couldn't even handle handle my Aunt Katie. So then we hear, then Jesus, he's like saying, uh, love thy enemy and even love your neighbor and love your enemy and stuff like that. Well, I wonder why. I wonder why. Did you lose somebody? Did you lose a child? Did you lose a mother? Did you lose a father? Did they ascend to heaven? Well, I guess the only person that's going to know that is them and God. And if they didn't, guess what they are? They could be with you right now. So, when people talk about this, you know, the reincarnation trap and stuff like that, and this place is evil and it's a hell and it's a slop and all this other stuff, what they're doing is a completely unbalanced worldview. It's not an enlightened worldview. It's not even balanced. 
Because yes, we have to admit, yes, there is rape that goes down here. Yes, there are horrors that go down here. Absolutely. You know what else goes on down here? Well, you know what I'm going to be? I'm not going to be on this Tuesday because we're going to be going down. We're going to go. Um, I'm going to go to my wife and I are flying to Phoenix and we're going to go celebrate a person's 50th wedding uh, vow, vow renewal. So, and I think that's beautiful. I think it's awesome. I'm honored to even be a part of that. And guess where that happens? On earth. The place God created. Not the devil. Not the demiurgos. Not Satan. God. This is why it says reborn through Christ. Why why rebirth? Why is it the why is the symbol of rebirth? Because coming to Christ why is coming to Christ called being reborn? Because the soul's journey requires pain. Without pain there is no birth. We deny the pain. We deny that. You deny the birth. You deny the new child coming through. But I just want the child and not the process to I just want to get up to the top of Everest and I don't want to climb. It's not how it works. You reject that process, you're rejecting God. To reject one aspect of our soul's journey because it is painful is to reject the whole journey. It's a rejection of eternal life is what it is. Does that mean we want to stay down here and hang out and this place is amazing and blah? No. But you cannot reject it. You cannot curse it. You cannot bemoan it or belittle it or decry it or belie it. No. Then you might as well just be cursing God. Let's read from Pike again. Masonry does not occupy itself with crying down this world. With its splendid beauty, its thrilling interest, its glorious works, its noble and holy affections, nor exhort us to detach our hearts from this earthly life as empty, fleeting, and unworthy, and fix them upon heaven as the only sphere deserving the love of the loving or the meditation of the wise. It teaches masonry. This is why I love masonry. Masonry teaches that men have high duties to perform here and a high destiny to fulfill on this earth, that this world is not merely the portal to another, and that this life, though not our only one, is an integral one, and the particular one which we are meant here to be concerned. You concern yourself with life here in the now. Don't be dreaming of life in the next world. It's going to be so great when we get to heaven. Yes, it will. But you're not there yet. Well, I mean, heaven on earth, of course. But what you have to do is, of course, recognize where you are, who you are, and be in the now. Isn't that what all those new age people tell you anyway? This is what the the Trinity formula tells you. Where's Christ? He's in the present. We're to be concerned with life here, that the present is our scene of action and the future for speculation and for trust. And we put our trust in God. That man was sent upon this earth to live in it, to enjoy it, to study it, to love it, to embellish it, to make the most out of it. He is sent into this world not to be constantly hankering after, dreaming of, preparing for another, but to do his duty and fulfill his destiny on earth. Anybody that's telling you anything otherwise is denying the very process of enlightenment, of the very process of you getting home. To do all that lies in his power to improve it, to render the, to render this life as a scene of elevated happiness to himself, to those around him, to those who are to come after him, that's what this life is about. His life here is part of his immortality. Let's read that one again. Oh, I want immortal life. I want immortal life. I want to get out of here. This is a trap. No, this is part of immortality. Otherwise, immortality would have no meaning. <laughs> See? His life here is part of his immortality. 
and this world also is among the stars. Let's read more from Pike. Life is a blessing. I'm going to say this. Life is a blessing. Any other worldview that does not recognize this fundamental truth is a broken and an unenlightened worldview. It holds, masonry holds, that with all of its evils, life is a blessing. To deny that life is a blessing is to destroy the basis of all religion, natural and revealed. The very foundation of all religion is laid on the firm belief that God is good. Amen. And if this life is an evil and a curse, no such belief can be rationally entertained. Let's read that again. The very foundation of all religion is laid on the firm belief that God is good. And if this life is an evil and a curse, no such belief can be rationally entertained. Amen, Brother Pike. To level our satire at humanity, we're doing this all the time, right? To level our satire at humanity and human existence is mean and contemptible. Not us, but you know how many people do this? To look on this world as the habitation of a miserable race, fit only for mockery and scorn, to consider this earth as a dungeon or a prison which has no blessing to offer but escape from it, is to extinguish the primal light of faith and hope and happiness, to destroy the basis of religion and truth's foundation and the goodness of God, and that's exactly what all of these people that are claiming they're Gnostics are doing. To them, which is not Gnosticism, life is a curse. No, no. Life is a blessing. It's temporary. It's meant to do what li- life is meant to do. Just like my car out there. Like, well, why doesn't my car, why can't it float down the river? Because it's a car. It does what a car does. It's got four wheels. You want something, you want life to be something other than it is. No. Life comes with everything. Everything here. To deny one aspect of it is to deny the other. I don't want the fear anymore. Well, then you're not going to get the love. I don't want the suffering anymore. Well, then you're not going to dance. God wants you to dance. We're going to pass the basket around. If you would like, we got about another half hour to go. If you would like to support the fine work that we do here, uh, we keep going with your uh, support. So we're like NPR and shit, you know, but you don't, except you don't get like the tote bag and like the really crappy CD of like bad music. So anyway, you can support the fine work that we do by going to Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, or you can become a subscribe star. And if you would like, we also do um, donations. Um, That's right. My name is Kevin McNally. N17178 Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin, 54156. We got about another half hour and then we'll call this baby. Let's play some music.
All right. Thank you all for those that do support the fine work that we do here. By the way, um, we just finished writing our children's book last week, and we're getting it illustrated. We're working on illustrated right now, so we're hoping that will be out. I'm thinking by next month. So, and it's good. It's good. You guys are going to like it. Okay, let's keep going. Now, how do we... So now that we understand the role of evil, we understand that pain and suffering does have a purpose here, that it wasn't created by a malicious evil force, that there is no... Ontologically, there is no substance of evil that's here that's messing with things. We understand that the Demiurge, literally by the words itself, are telling you, where does this evil exist? In the common people? In the, in the, the worker? Literally what the word means? So... Now we want to talk about those levels of ascension up and out of the dome up there into what? Uh, words fail. Into God Almighty. The only thing we say, total unity? Okay, that's a metaphor. Pure 100% love? Total, total metaphor. Once again, language fails. Categories fail. Descriptors fail. Numbers. Numbers are ridiculous up there. It doesn't mean, no. Okay. So, but how do we understand the ascension up and out of a place where dimensionality fails? Well, God gave us numbers, literally right in front of us. And this is what Kabbalah is. Once again, anybody that tells you anything else about Kabbalah is not understanding the basics of it. If somebody's like, it's Jewish mysticism, they don't know what they're talking about. Yes, Jews have a version of Kabbalah, yes. But as we can see, it's literally found around the world, and it's number symbolism. So, one is, this comes from Morals and Dogma. One is filled with admiration on penetrating into the sanctuary of the Kabbalah at seeing a doctrine so logical just like we say, so simple and at the same time so absolute. The necessary union of ideas and signs, the consecration of the most fundamental realities by the primitive characters, the trinity of words, letters, and numbers, a philosophy simple as the alphabet, alphabet profound and infinite as the word, theorems, not theories, not theories, not explanations of things, theorems, proofs, proofs, theorems, more complete and luminous than those of Pythagoras. That's why we talk about it being a science. A theology summed up by counting on one's fingers. An infinite, which can be held in the hollow of an infant's hand. Ten ciphers, etc., etc. Uh, 22 letters. This is speaking specifically about uh, Jewish Kabbalah. A triangle, a square, and a circle. Isn't that what we just dealt with? In the beginning of this live stream, a circle, square. That helps us understand our cosmology. What is the triangle? We'll get into that. These are all elements of the Kabbalah. They are the elementary principles of the written word, reflection of that spoken word that created the world. This is the doctrine of the Kabbalah with which you will no doubt seek to make yourself acquainted as to the creation. The absolute deity. Now, when we talk about the absolute deity, what are we talking about? That point of God that's literally above the North Star in which when you get up in there, words fail. There's, there's nothing more you can say. So if somebody is like telling you, yes, but then there's levels beyond those 10 and they have no idea what they're talking about. None. The, the supreme God that exists right above, literally go outside tonight or just today, find your north and look up. <laughs> the absolute deity that's just above that dome of which all things fail, all words, the absolute deity with the Kabbalist has no name. <laughs> Why? Because just as we said, the terms applied to him are the most simple, pure light. Once again, it's all light. It's all unity. It's all light of their love. The iron soft, this is what they mean by the infinite, before any emanation. So there's an infinite God, just as we're saying, before any numbers. 
That's what an emanation is. For then there was no space or vacant place, but all was infinite light. Okay. So Pike is saying directly, is like, hey, the Einsoft, there's a God that's above all the other gods, right? That's like literally up there. It, all, all we can say about it is light. There's no name. It's beyond It's beyond number, beyond emanation. Everything else fails. Anybody else that tries to bring a descriptor on that, what are you talking about? No, you might as well just go, because that's about the most you can say. Now, how do we get up? How do we ascend those levels? How do we ascend those levels of Kabbalah that God put right in front of us? How do we ascend those levels up and out of a place where there's numbers, there's no numbers, geometry? We follow the Holy Trinity. We follow Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Because, you know, it makes sense. So, let's start. We're going to learn. God put this right in front of us, remember. You don't have to believe me or anybody. You don't have to listen to some master guru sage who's got the ascended path that knows the one true way. Ah! No, God put it right in front of you. Literally. And this is not a metaphor. No. Zero. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. Now let's talk about this a second. Now when we, we go to zero, zero is a representation of what? Nothing. Of course, you have something, so automatically you have paradoxes, right? How can you have nothing or how can you have something represent nothing nothing is supposed to be nothing and so you have something that represents nothing how can there be nothing you need something to represent you know uh, like a thing to represent nothing but then as soon as you have a thing you don't actually have nothing so i guess the further and further you get down our number line from nine eight seven six five four three two one zero the less and less we can explain and and describe it correct what can you say about one? Well, there's one chicken there, and there's one chicken there, and there's one chicken there. And then when I uh, you know, group all of them, then I have three chickens, which is actually a group. So I'm actually giving you one number, which represents this group. But really, there's, but, but, you know, this oneness is actually in a one that's like, all of a sudden, what is one? One is a unit, and it's also a totality. Wait, it's singular, but it's a... Do you see what, you see what I'm saying? As soon as you get to describe, you go up the layers of consciousness... And as soon as you get up in where you're about to head up out of there, words start to fail, just as your experience does. Literally just as your experience does. Tell me what the sun is. Ooh, a big burning bright ball. I don't even know if it's a ball. It could be a disc. See what we're doing here? God put this right in front of you. So we go from zero, which is no thing. We go to one, which is just oneness, right? It's either singular or total, which is, once again, kind of, you know, paradoxical. Then you get to two. Really, there's no dimensionality there. It's just two points. You can make a line. That's about it. It's only when three you get the first polygon, the first form. So from there, right, we went zero, one, two. This is, once again, where you're losing dimensionality, literally. And you're also losing the ability to describe these things. Then you get to three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, now let's just do some basic math here. First off, the first geometry that you form is on the three. Um, is on the three. Th this stuff, by the way, that I'm about to show is really so basic. It's really so simple that at this point, it's really, really hard for me to listen to truth seekers or conspiracy theorists or anybody that claims that they're telling the truth and they're not teaching this. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. I'm like, if, you, if I'm going to show you this, Something so simple that children can understand that's literally at the foundation of the geometric understanding of the construction of our world. 
and you're not telling this to other people, you're not sharing this information, you, I, I, I lose faith and trust in you. Not that I have faith in human beings. I don't have faith in God. But I don't, I don't, I, I, you're a little questionable. This shit's so basic children can understand it, but conspiracy theorists and truthers, they don't want to share this stuff. Why? Because they're scared. Zero, one, two. The first thing we come to is in, in a polygon is three. And that gives you what? The degrees of 180. Okay, we'll just walk up from there. Let's walk, let's, let's ascend or ascend, you know, uh, let's go from nine back to one into zero and then up and out of creation. Okay, how, how is it built? How is our number line built into the geometry? Zero, nothing, one, oneness, two, two. Then you go to three, you get 180. Well, just walk up. 180 plus, you just add another triangle. You just add another 180, you get to 360. Then let's walk, so that goes to three to four. Let's walk up to five. So 360 degrees plus 180 is what? It's 540 degrees. You just added another trinity. Let's walk up to six and let's look at the dimensionality of six, a polygon. You went from 540, you just added 180. You just added the triangle, the trinity, and you get to 720. Keep going. Let's go to seven. Add 180. Go to eight. Add another 180. Go to nine. Add 100, uh, another 180. What are we doing? It's triangles. All it's it's Jesus all the way up. The levels of consciousness in which you are to, you know, tackle and understand that sort of stuff, represented by numbers, literally going from you know nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Well, that's it. Every step of the way, every step of the way in your mystical ascension through numbers, through Kabbalah, is brought to you by what? The Trinity. The Triangle. 180, 360, 540, 720, add 180, 900, add 180, 1080, add 180, 1260, and you just keep going. So notice here, these ascensions of the levels of consciousness, they're angles. They're all, those are all angles, right? But really, one and two doesn't have any angles. Doesn't have any, in, in this sense, no dimensionality in this sense. Um, this is where your angels come from, right? Your angles are your angels. We've talked about this. But if you notice, um, and they are actually helpers in creation. This is why it says, let us make man in our own image. Why is God plural now? Remember in Genesis, in the beginning, God, singular, created two things, heaven and earth, and then oh, formless void and light and all that other shit, right? Six days, seven, that sort of stuff, right? It's At one point, he says, let's make man in our image. Well, who's who are the gods making things now? It's literally numbers. It's literally Kabbalah. Those are your angels. Now, if you notice, many, many cultures will have uh, seven angels. There'll be seven specific angels the earliest Gnostic sects ascribed the work of the creation to angels. Numbers. They're represented as numbers. Some of them using the same passage in Genesis, um, in which the number of these angels is reckoned as seven. And then in the Archonic or whatever, Sethian, Ophiate systems, the doctrine of Valentinus, the making of the world is ascribed to seven archons or seven angels. Seven. Why seven? Well, because three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine are the only ones that have dimensionality. So not only are all of these cultures literally around the world, Egypt, Egypt, Christian, Hindu, 
you know, uh, the, the, the Arthurian, the Norse stuff, then you get into Gnostic sex, stuff like that, they're going to be very specific, very specific about exactly what they're referring to. Why seven? We have to substantiate what they mean. Boom. <laughs> there it is. It's literally in the geometry. So these myths of the world, when when they're encoding stuff like this and we're not extrapolating the stuff out of that, we're, we're missing the divine science. And this is what I mean. If I hear all these people talking about all of these Norse stuff, right? And yet, and, or a Christian, and yet they're not bringing up any of this. It's like, it would be like knowing about flat earth and not talking about it. That's what it's like to me. It's like, okay, okay. So let's read from Pike again. Actually, this comes from uh, Paracelsus, excuse me. For God marked all his creatures with this ternary, which is three, three, and engraved its hier three. Why is God a trinity? Why is God trinitarian? It's because we needed the church fathers to reveal it through revelation, and then we read the stuff, and it was passed down from generation and tradition, or we can just freaking count. <laughs> Some of this stuff gets really ridiculous. It really does. It's so unbelievably childish. Anyway, for God marked his all of his creatures with this ternary, this three. Yes, he did. Absolutely. And engraved its own hieroglyph on them with his own finger, Paracelsus said. Interesting. Interesting word choice he used there. Nothing in the nature of things can be assigned or produced that lacks the majesty of the divine ternary. In the nature of things, everything has this trifold or tripart to nature to it, or that does not even ocularly prove it. See it. We can prove it by literally measuring it and seeing it. The creature teaches us to understand and see the creator himself, as St. Paul testifies to the Romans. This covenant of the divine three, diffused through, uh, throughout the whole substance of the things, is indissoluble. It's incorruptible. It's just as we say. You can't destroy it. But this also, we have the secrets of all nature from the four elements. So from this, we have all the secrets of nature. And this breeds the four elements. For the ternary with the magical quaternary, quaternary, which is, in other words, the three with the magical four produces a perfect septenary. Seven. Endowed with many arcana and demonstrated by things which are known. When the quaternary, the four, Rest in the ternary, the three, then arises the light of the world on the horizon of eternity and by the assistance of God gives us the whole bond. Three and four come together to be seven and give you the whole world and the whole thing is in bond. And what did Paracelsus say? Who has put the light of the world on the horizon of eternity and the assistance of the demiurge? No, 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 of God. God gives the whole bond. So we see this here. This is Kabbalah and it's the basics of geometry is what it is. And God put it right in front of you. Okay. There's 145 watching. That's the number of days that a lamb is pregnant. This is the Trinity. Why so glorious? Why, why is this triangle in all of these, all of these different illustrations and paintings, why is it related to our our, our holy God? Because God wants you to understand your creation. God wants to understand what you're doing here. 
God wants to understand what what's right in front of you. What's right in front of you is reflected in the whole thing. It's like, oh, what do I do? How do I get up and out of here? Oh, there's like levels of consciousness that I must ascend. Where is it? Everywhere around you? Why the Trinity? Why do why the Trinity? Why the Trinity across the world? Valknu, three spirals, the Om, Akate's wheel, all of these flags, Norse cultures, Christian, Hindu, Egyptian, Orphic, French, Celtic, Sicilian, Norse. It gets exhausting listing, listing all these. <laughs> Even time itself is Trinitarian. When, when he says ocularly, <laughs> you know, past, present, and future, What's the three, what's the three omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent? It's absolutely, in other words, if you want to ascend up and out of here, it's absolutely necessary that you understand the Trinity. You know, uh, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, we have to understand God. We have to know what he wants. We have to know his design. We have to know his will. We have to follow that will. And not only all of that though, beyond all of that, that's all great. But God made a science to this. A science to this whole process. Not conjecture, not opinion, not I got a bunch of theories. I've read some good stuff in some old books. No, God made a science behind this process and built the entire thing on it. The entire thing. Literally everything you experience. <laughs> and it's glorious and amazing. How about the all-seeing eye of God? Why a triangle? These are the ones that uh, a few we saw in Europe there on the right there. What does the triangle represent in the all-seeing eye of God? Exactly what we're talking about. What is that What is that? Uh, that, that pyramid there, right? Well, it's going up and out, right? Like the base, if the base was nine, then it's going like little, you know, like nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Eventually it's up and out of dimensionality. Look at that, look at that eye in the triangle. It's losing dimensionality. It goes from three dimensions into two and then what? Eventually just follow that number line. Climb young lamb up the number ladder. Seek your answers and question what you find. Climb young lamb up the number ladder. Seek your answers and question what you find. As you ascend higher and higher up that ladder, you lose dimensionality. You lose the ability to describe it. That is all around us. We are enshrouded by this. This is exactly what's on your dollar bill. It's literally, people see that symbol as a symbol of the new world order and evil and stuff like that. Oh, there is a new world order that we seek. It has nothing to do with these jack you know, the World Economic Forum and the Agenda 21 and stuff like that. No, the New World Order is an order in which we actually understand God's order. The entire creation itself, literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, the entire creation itself is telling you about this ascension process and God put it right in front of you. Here's your 28 phalanges of your hands. We've done this math. We're going to do it again. We have 28 phalanges on those hands. Two on the thumb, three on each finger. As you can see, it's all laid out right there. Well, how do we get to 28? Well, we add one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So in other words, if we want to get to the number that's right on our hands, we just have to, we just have to follow, <laughs> right? We could just go to, go to here. Oh, let's go here. 
we literally just have to do some geometry. That's it. We just have to do some geometry to understand the seven. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in our base 10 system is seven. So 28 phalanges, one through seven equals 28. We multiply one through seven, one times two times three times four times five times six times seven, just as it's written on the you know, screen there. It's 5,040. Those two numbers, 5,040 divided by 28 is 180. 5,040 divided by 28 is... God has given you the, the math to ascend up the levels, up and out of this creation. And he put it right in front of you. It's all, it's all built on the Trinity. It's all built on it. And it's really, it's, it's so simple that children can understand it. It really is. I mean, this is the basics of geometry and math here. So this is counting on our fingers, which children do. Doing the basics, you know, counting to 10, which children do. <laughs> understanding the basics of geometry, which children can do. And then understanding what that, you know, what that is all about. It's, our ascension process is literally crafted into the mathematics of our hands. So now we go to what people, there's lots of people online that make fun of, uh, you know, what, what we do here in Schematria, right? And um, because we say that it's, it's a science and it has to be treated as a science. This is, I've shown this before, this is your base 10 system. It's, it's nuts that there are truth seekers and consp you know, conspiracy theorists and Christians, and they're not going to talk about this. That tells me everything I think I need to know about tuning my ear to these people anymore. And Jennifer and I have pretty much shut them all off. Because at this point, I'm like, uh, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not even looking right in front of you. This is the base 10 system, 0 through 9 and 1 through 10 in English. Now, we do this in other languages, too, but just so you know. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, our base 10 system that God gave us equals 180. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you can do the math, equals 180. So you see the Gematria totals there? So when we make the claim about this being this uh, being absolute science, it is, there's no question about it. It's absolutely scientifically provable. <laughs> okay? Now, and that our, and as we can see, Religious principles are based directly on this. Directly on this. This study here that unveils 180 and 0 through 9 and 1 through 10 is called gamatria. Tria means three. It's the base of the science. So, here's another lesson for you guys. If you hear gamatricians on the web and they're not talking about the Holy Trinity and how important it is to the entire study, they're not doing gamatria. If you hear Gnostics on the web and they're talking about the Demiurge and how it's a substantial being and it's fucking with us and keeping us down here, right? They're not Gnostics. They're not on an enlightened path. If you see those people cl claiming victimhood, any anybody that's claiming, I am a victim here, that's not an enlightened path. That's not an enlightened worldview. Period. God's glorious. There's a science to our ascension process, and God did not leave us like a worm dangling in a big abyss with no answers. Remember when we talked about we started this live stream? Oh, there's, we're into this world and it's just a big riddle and there's no answers? No, there are answers. There are answers right in front of you and it's so glorious and amazing. It's, it's like, what? You can't, once again, ah, words fail, don't they? 
Whenever you start talking about God, that's that's the appropriate thing. It's like, oh, I'm little, I don't know what else to say. So all of this triunity, the triangles, and what do we have? The triangle is the spiritual axiom of balance, perfected in form. That's what the triangle represents. The triangle is the spiritual axiom of balance. It's perfectly balanced. In fact, they'll say like if you have a, a, a bar stool, and I know this well, a bar stool will actually be, allegedly anyway, a bar stool will be actually more sturdy with three legs than four. So anyway, so the triangle, so what is, what is, that's what it is. Just extracting the natural symbolism from that triangle is balance in form. We're almost done here, I promise. And so what is, what does God want of us? He wants us to be balanced. We read this when we read that we did the Cherokee story of creation. We're going to do the Oneida story of creation real soon too. Um, the, to the traditional Cherokee, the concept of balance is central in all aspects of social and ceremonial life. It's all, it, it's literally all about balance. In this belief system, women balance men just as summer balances winter, plants balance animals, farming and balance hunting, etc., etc. This is the middle way. The middle path is literally describes this, this, this thing. You're, you know, it's, uh, it refers to the avoidance of the middle path in Buddhism refers to the avoidance of two extremes of practical life, namely the indulgence in sensual pleasures on one hand and severe asceticism on the other. Asceticism is basically abandon, abandon it all, forget it all. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have any alcohol. I'm not going to do any of this. I'm not going to go, I'm just going to forget it all. Literally like forego the entire world. And then there's the opposite of that, where it's like you're just constantly into sexual and sensual pleasures and just, you know, eating all that sort of the desires of the flesh or stuff. And, and Buddha's ultimate message, and hence why he has that circle around his head, because he's enlightened. That's what it means. Cross-culturally, too. He came to enlightenment because he's like, oh, I got to balance myself between these. The middle path is literally what, how it's explained. So our, our message is what? From that triangle. Stay balanced. Do you guys know what the... There's rock formations like this and they're found all over um, like the... the uh, like the Northeast and stuff like that. Like up in... Um, oh, what am I saying? I'm totally... New England, that whole area. There's a bunch of these. And they're, we don't know who put them there and stuff like that. But the, the geologists come along and they call this a glacial erratic. Meaning that there's glaciers that formed and then they carried rocks and then the rocks ended up just naturally balancing on these when the glaciers receded, which has got to be the dumbest shit I've ever heard. But anyway, that's literally their explanation of this. Well, I would say that whoever put this here, I don't know who they are, I don't know what culture, I don't know how long ago they did this, but I would say that they had a message for humanity, wouldn't you? About when you're down here? What you're supposed to do while you're down here, we're, 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 we're have this balance of what good and evil. Then it's all the potentiality and possibility of the, of good and evil, evil to happen. And what do you, what is, what does Buddha say? Well, you're going to have to deal with all of it. Stay balanced through the whole thing. And that's what the triangle represents. All the way up, up and out of into Dimension, where dimensionality fails, words fail, and all the way down. When you climb those rungs of that ladder, what will you be climbing it with? The Holy Trinity. You ain't going to make it up there without it. And that's what Kabbalah teaches you. And anybody that is not understanding that, I'll just, I'm just here to tell you, and I don't want to say this, but they don't understand Kabbalah at all. 
at all. But as we found, we're sort of in that world today, right? In that world age in which we're, you know, we live in a time where, yes, Satan in this sense, the demiurgos or whatever you want to say, is absolutely in the hearts and minds of people. And that has prevented us from seeing the beauty that's literally right in front of us. And if you want to fly up to the heavens, you're going to need to be a good bard. Okay? you got to be a good bard if you want to get up to heaven because the heavens requires you some wings. And so you're going to have to be a good bird. All right. Thank you guys so much for uh, a wonderful Sunday. I really appreciate um, everybody that does show up and uh, supports the fine work that we do. If you would like to become a member, uh, if you would like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at subscribe star. I think we have like 31 or 32 subscribe stars right now. We're trying to get to like 60, maybe 50 or 60 but you can become a good bird. You can become a phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a Cygnus bird, or Tom and a Pete, my bird. And you can support the good work that we're doing uh, here. Um, it, once again, if you'd like to send any donations, there are the links and snail mail as well. We have snail mail. Jennifer, do you have uh, anything for me? Ten seconds. Ooh, I have to pee. All right. Yeah, Val Madness. Um, the church is your body. Yeah, the church is... We Actually, we talked about that last live stream, too. We talked about the fact that, like, the church is literally every everywhere and every everything. <laughs> so, so, okay. I will say... Did you send it? Yeah. Um, I, and I will say this, too. Uh, where did you send it? My... Which one? Oh, tithings. Here we go. I will say this too is like, and I don't mean to be harsh, but I'm like at this point, it's like we've sort of crossed the Rubicon with truth seeking. Okay, guys, I don't know if you figure this out, but really, there's not much truth seeking going on anymore. And as far as I can tell on the web, <laughs> what you actually find is a lot of people that are trying to validate their belief systems, or they have an idea and then they'll go out and they'll try to search out things that once again, validate that idea. You also have a lot of people coming to sweeping conclusions without doing any sort of critique on what it is they're saying or thinking, that sort of stuff. And I will say this, and I mean this very seriously, like I, I'm starting to like lose trust in people that are not passing this information around or, or even more so that are, that are, that are dissing it. Like we, we're in a time where it's absolutely necessary. If you're a truth seeker and you're a Christian warrior and that sort of thing, you should be passing this information around. You should be teaching this sort of stuff. You should be learning it because it helps you understand everything in your world. Not only your create the creation itself, right? Not only that, but what's literally in front of you, symbols all over the world, you're never going to understand those symbolism if you do not understand astrotheology and you do not understand the basics of what we understand as Kabbalah, number symbolism and geometry. There's just no way. And I'm just telling, and so what right now we have a lot of people that are, and I can't even listen to any of it anymore because it's literally just a bunch of people flapping their traps and ignoring stuff like this. To me, it's a red flag. To me, it's a red, you're untrustworthy, right? You're not actually a truth seeker. If you were, you would be talking about this. It's so simple, children can do but you don't want to count to seven and then help people understand why is the number seven so sacred? I don't know. I, I mean, and you're not going to pass that information around. 
You're not going to send people over here so that they can learn more? I don't trust you. It goes for most now, most people. I hate to say that when it comes to truth seekers online. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. We've been talking about this for 10 years and you haven't, you haven't brought it up once. How many times have you brought up every other subject though? Brian Rose, Eric C, Globusters. Hey, thanks, Globusters. I saw that I uh, you left uh, one the other live stream. So, uh, Deborah Stilly, Styles, good to see you. Robert Bruce, J.M. Grassi, Terry McBride, Krista, Jared Martin. I think those are two different people. Krista and then Jared Martin. Lawrence, Daniel Hager, uh, Matthew, Andrew Masonette, Aurorian. Thanks so much to all the Gubbards that are subscribed stars. And then Rockfin, uh, Jeremy Hines, Tip20, Small Axe. Pretty much just freaking love you guys. Thank you, Small Axe. Doing God's work. Doing God's work. Angie A, tip $10. Happy Sunday. Thank you. Andrew Mason at $10. Amen. Thank you. Matthew, 20 Thank you so much. Perspective, Bobby96. Um, I know this enough to tell you you are spot on, Marty. Thank you for all you do. 47 Thank you, Perspective96. Rachel Whitaker, much love. Much love to you. Base 10, baby. Fruf Sika. Alicia Crawford, 20 Thank you so much. Lucy Short, Ty, thank you. Jackie Traverson, love you guys. When will you land in Missouri? We will actually be down to see you, Jackie T, Auntie Jake. We'll be down, um, I think we're going to start moving next month. So, and from them, yes. Yeah, so we'll be stopping at your place. We're going to shower. Probably going to take a poop and stink up your bathroom. It's going to be a thing. Okay. <laughs> Jared Poole, you're the man, dude. Jared Poole, thank you so much. Thank you. It means, it's huge. Thank you. Carmen Taylor, 456. Those are good numbers. Crystal Rose bought a coffee. Jamie Greeley bought a coffee. Happy Sunday. Thanks so much for lifting us up with such a great marriage. Great message. <laughs> Garrett Rudolph, 12. Thank you so much, everybody. Really appreciate it. Would really like to keep this going. And like I said, Fed Up Gear, 1999. Uh, Fed Up Gear is starting, uh, just so you guys know, uh, a um, just a few announcements. Uh, he's getting together a Flat Earth Festival that's going to be uh, in New York in July, I think 22nd, 23rd is what he's working on. I'm slated to be a speaker along with like um, Austin Witsit and I think Jaren and there's a bunch of other people. So hopefully that gets off the ground and gets going. We're giving you props for that. So thank you, Fed Up Gear, for that. Um... Uh, I'm sorry. Um, did I say all the thank yous? Yes, I did. Uh, we were brought to, this is, uh, sorry, I'm all over the place. Bitchute, Rumble, and Odyssey. If you're watching it on that, that's brought to you by Content Safe. Thank you, Content Safe. You can also get this at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. You can get the Sunday sermons on there. Make sure to get the app and check it out. It's a great, handy little app. And also, I want to let everybody know, I'll be announcing this a lot more. I will be one of the uh, premier speakers. I'm premier. I just, I just gave myself that, that title, you know what I mean? But um, I'll be speaking with a bunch of really great people. Kelly Broken, Mr. Doctor, the Doctor, Bear Lando, um, Aline McCusick, Alex, Alex Zach, uh, a bunch of other people, Melissa Sell. Um, we're going to be doing The Gathering. Um, it's called Music and Sky. It's called The Gathering. August 18th through the 21st, over my mom's birthday. So I will be there and I will be speaking. And my, my lecture is going to be, God, I look young there, don't I? I'm so old now. So it's an old man. Um, my lecture is going to be called Look Up um, Optimism in the World Ahead. Something like that. Something like that. So it's going to be good. So if you guys get a chance, enter in California. Stop by. Would love to see you. Um, and it's going to be good. So, okay. That's it. If you guys, we do hardcover copies. 
of uh, the book, and we also have uh, archives, that sort of thing. So if you'd like to support the work, we really appreciate it. Thank you uh, all to... Did someone say app? I know. It's... <laughs> It's like you say Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, and next thing you know, Dave shows up. He's like, ah, you should totally buy an app. You should totally. totally you should. I, I agree with him. So anyway, okay, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you all. I hope you learned a lot today. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing next week, um, but I will not be doing Tuesdays with Marty this Tuesday because we will be traveling, and I think we'll be traveling the next Tuesday as well. I might do it and um, in like the airport or something like that, but we are going to celebrate love. We're going to celebrate love. That's what we're going to do. We're going to honor two people that, uh, Ron and Linda, that um, have been married for 50 years, and they're going to celebrate that and with a bunch of people, and I think it's awesome. And we're so honored to be able to go and do that and um, be the MC of that, if you will. So really looking forward to that. Beautiful, beautiful thing I get to do, doing this whole thing. So anyway, we're going to listen to some um, Greg Arcade. Oh, I got to do this. Guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Um, if you if you guys, I want to say one other thing. If you guys give a, a chance, give a shout out, send a prayer over to our buds, uh, Willie and uh, William and Susie over in Germany. Germany there. Deutschland, Verbotenland. Um, she's just had some uh, health issues uh, lately. And so we're going to do our best in this church to send full-on prayers. When you send your prayer, just put that pedal to the metal and make sure that it goes right to them because we love them very much. And she's just had some uh, some issues lately and we just want to support them in any way. So if you do, if you get a chance in your prayers, just send one out to Will and Susie if you can because we love them very much very much. All right, that's going to do it. Guys, we're going to listen to, what are we going to do? We're going to listen to Greg Arcade, Arcade again. It's like, yeah, uh, that's what we're going to do. We listened to him last week. We're going to do it this week too. Why? It's my show. It's my church. So if you get a chance, go to gregarcade.com. And if you are up in the great state of Canada and are in the Alberta area, he is whole, uh, playing a show in a on April 8th. And it is for um, all the guys that um, were arrested, essentially illegally, political prisoners by Trudeau, the four guys from uh, the Coots, the Coots Four is what they're called. So, And he actually made a little EP um, about the whole trip and everything like that. It's really cool. So anyway, gregarcade.com for the new EP. It's called A Little Gas in the Tank. Pretty, pretty tasty. Uh, we're going to listen to a song called Rally on Me right now. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. Thank you for support. Thank you for buying the books. Thank you for sharing this on your social media. Thank you for um, allowing us to keep keep doing this. Look at these blue dots. God bless it. <laughs> Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We, we want to keep doing this and we, we love it so much. Um, so anyway, that's going to do it. Guys, I will see you next Sunday. Be good to one another. Be good to one another, okay? We love you very much. Let's rock out with Mr. Gregor Cade. As always... Many blessings and much love to all.
Making its way from town to town There's a heavy air Choking you with despair And it's keeping you down Torn up and put down You've been ripped apart for standing your ground The folks who knew they don't want you around What can you do when you're flat on the ground You feel held down Well you can rally on me I don't know Is it them or me? Cause you can rally on me. 